You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill. So glad all of you can join us here together on this great Sunday morning. Those of you who are watching us online, inviting us into your home, thank you for inviting us there with you. We have some folks here this morning who are from out of town, been watching us online or here in person visiting family. We're so glad that you're able to be here as well. And those of you who will be watching in the Cross Point Center, we're so happy that you're joining us there as we celebrate together as a faith family. Um, Next week, we're going to start a new series, and the name of the series, that we're we're calling it For the Church. And this series is coming from the first letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at this letter, break it down, and what God says for the church today. And in this letter, I'm really excited about this study because it's going to help guide us through some difficult, changing times in our culture. It's going to give us some clear picture of how we govern ourselves as the body of Christ and how we operate together with leadership, but it also helps us in guarding the gospel. And these three things we're going to take time to work through in the next several weeks. Matter of fact, we're going to go 14 weeks in the book of 1 Timothy, and as we look at that, we're going to be dealing with some cultural issues that you would think the Apostle Paul wrote it for us in the 21st century. So I'm really looking forward into getting into that and studying to see what God has for the church. So that begins next week. But today we conclude our series on the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. We've been in this series called Empowered. And we've been looking at the work and the person of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life and even in the non-believer's life. And we've seen that if there's any person of the Godhead that we have maybe neglected, it has been the person of the Holy Spirit. We spend a lot of time talking about the Father. We spend a lot of time talking about the Son. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, sometimes maybe we're confused. We're maybe a little bit afraid of talking about the Holy Spirit. But we need to remember the importance of his work in our lives. And this is where we've been so far. The first week, we looked at the identity of the Holy Spirit. We said he's a definite person, he's a divine person, he's a dynamic person, which means he has personhood. He is is in a relationship with the Father and the Son in a perfect community. So we see the identity of the Holy Spirit. But the second thing we saw was the impact of the Holy Spirit. We saw how he regenerates the believer's heart for conversion, that he takes up residence in the believer's heart at conversion, and he desires to fill the believer's heart after conversion. So when I know fully who he is, and then I give him freedom in my life, he empowers me to do things that I've never been able to do in my own flesh. And then last week, we started looking at the influence of the Holy Spirit. And we said that there are two ways the Holy Spirit influences us. First is through gifts. And last week, we saw that spiritual gifts are manifested in every believer. Secondly, it's for the purpose of ministry. Thirdly, it doesn't demonstrate our maturity. Fourthly, they're multiple in types. And the last thing we saw that they're mandated at the Holy Spirit's discretion. Now, let me make a clarifying point. 
In speaking about the spiritual gifts, I couldn't cover every single thing I'd like to say about spiritual gifts. And while the Holy Spirit is the one who chooses the gifts in us and he gives us specific gifts, it doesn't mean that I'm free not to do other commands that he said. For example, you might have the gift of evangelism. You might not have the gift of evangelism, but that doesn't mean you are not supposed to fulfill the great commissioning and share in Christ with others. You may not have the gift of service, but that does not mean you're not to be free to serve other people because that's the character of Christ. And so while there may be specific gifts, we are to seek to apply all of the commands of God in our life, regardless of whether or not I'm uniquely gifted in that area. So we're to walk constantly in the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit's work within us. Now, today we want to finalize this by talking about the second way the Holy Spirit influences us, not only through spiritual gifts, but through spiritual fruit. And today we're going to talk about what does it mean to have the fruit of the Spirit in the life of a believer. Now, when it comes to spiritual gifts and spiritual fruit, a lot of times people are confused. Let me put it this way, the difference between them. While spiritual gifts are for the purpose of ministry, spiritual fruit is for the purpose of maturity. Spiritual fruit is for the purpose of growing us up in Jesus Christ. I could put it another way. Gifts point to what we do. Fruit points to who we are. Gifts may talk about the ways we're gifted and how the Holy Spirit wants to work through us. But when we talk about spiritual fruit, we're talking about character. One of the problems of the church in Corinth was they were all about bragging on their spiritual gifts. Well, I've got this gift, I've got this gift. And they were using their gifts as these marks of elitism in the church. And they were focused more on gifts than character. But one of the things that we need to understand is building Christ-like character must take precedent over displaying special abilities. The most important thing about you and me is not so much what we do, but who we are. And it's the fruit of the Spirit that molds our lives and our hearts to being like the person that God wants us to be. The Lord Jesus spoke to his disciples about this. He was telling them about the different kinds of trees that they are. And he says that a good tree will produce good fruit. A bad tree will produce bad fruit. And then he says this. He says, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. You will know the kind of tree it is by its fruit. A fruit determines the type of tree and a fruit determines the condition of the tree. And the same is true with us. One of the things in our lives should be is that we should want fruit that demonstrates the kind of life that is glorifying to God. Why is it so important to focus on character? Here's why. The devil can counterfeit gifts, but he cannot counterfeit holiness. The devil can counterfeit any spiritual gift, but he cannot counterfeit holiness and purity and righteousness and godliness. So when we allow the Holy Spirit to do his work through spiritual fruit within our lives, then that will impact even greater the spiritual gifts because they're connected always to character. So if we're gonna talk about spiritual fruit, where do we go in scripture? 
There are plenty of scriptures that talk about spiritual fruit, but probably none better than what the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter five. So if you have your Bibles, take them, open them, or your devices, or your phones, whatever it is that you have, turn to Galatians chapter five, beginning in verse 16. And we're gonna go all the way through verse 25. So verse 16 is where we're gonna start. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of believers in Galatia. These are believers who are having a difficult time in their church. The reason they have a difficult time is because some false teachers have come into the life of the church in Galatia. Some of them are called Judaizers. The Judaizers are telling all of these new believers, no, 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 you can't just have Jesus, you've got to have the law too and you've got to follow the law of Moses. And the only way that you can know that you're a really good child of God is that you're doing all of these lists of the law and these do's and these don'ts. So they were making Christianity legalistic. You have to follow all of these things to be a Christian. Then there was another group in the church called antinomianism. And they were saying, no, 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 we don't need any law. We have grace and we can live however we want. And because Jesus has died on the cross and saved us from our sins, it doesn't matter what you do now. And so you had one group that was legalistic, you had the other group that was liberal in their approach to everything, and they were abusing grace. But Paul comes in and he teaches them liberty. Here's the liberty, here's the freedom. Freedom is always found in the Holy Spirit's work within you. And he is the one that produces the fruit in you that you will honor God with your life. And in that is freedom. And then in verse 16, he begins telling us about this. And in verses 16 through 21, he gives us the first thing that we see is he shows us the conflict that is in us. There's a huge conflict that's in every believer's life. And here's how he says it. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If you know anything about Scripture, you know this kind of sounds like Romans 7, where he's saying, I don't do the things I want to do, but I do the things I don't want to do. And what Paul is saying here is there's a conflict in every child of God. There's a civil war in every child of God every single day. Because even though you come to faith in Christ and you've been redeemed by the work of Christ on the cross, he did not completely eradicate your sinful nature. You still have a sinful nature. It's your flesh. And your flesh wants to rise up and have control. So not only as a child of God is your flesh, that old residual person of the past still wanting to rise up, you have the spirit of God now who indwells you. And the Holy Spirit wants you to do his will. And every single day as a child of God, there's civil war in us and whose will we are going to follow. It's not that sin has been destroyed in you. It's just that, that sin cannot, you may not be, you, sin may not reign in your life, but it's not totally removed from your life either. And every child of God has to deal with this. Before I was a child of God, before I came to faith in Christ, I had no conflict in me. I just did what I wanted. And I, and I enjoyed it. And I didn't know that there was a problem with it. 
But when I came to faith in Christ, when the Holy Spirit took up residency within me, suddenly I recognized the conflict. The things I used to do with no problem, all of a sudden the Spirit of God is telling me that's not holy, that's not right. And so this spiritual war that is taking place within me every single day, and even after all these years, I still struggle with this in my life. If you're a child of God, you do too. And listen, when you struggle with this conflict in you, it's not that something's wrong with you, it's that something is absolutely right with you. Because of your flesh and because of the spirit of God who is living in you, there is always this struggle and this conflict. I would say this, if you can sin without any conflict in your heart, you have every reason to believe that you do not have a relationship with God. But every child of God has to battle this old flesh rising up with this spirit of God living within us, pointing out all those difficulties and the flaws of our life. So there's a conflict, but then he tells us that there's a contrast. And here's where he shows the contrast. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. You're under grace. Now the works of the flesh are evident, evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now he's showing what the natural results of the flesh apart from Christ are. Apart from Jesus Christ, the flesh produces fleshly things. Now it doesn't mean that a person who's not a believer will experience all of these things in their worst sense, not at all. But what he is saying is this, that the flesh always produces flesh the flesh cannot produce spiritual fruit ever. And the problem is those people and this list here are people who live a habitual lifestyle of all of these things. Now I wanna make clear that a believer can fall into immorality. A believer can fall into anger. A believer can fall even into idolatry at times. We can have lapses or seasons in our life where we can sin. But the person who lives a habitual lifestyle of sexual immorality or impurity or greed, they demonstrate that they are not believers. And then Paul makes this statement that would be absolutely canceled in our culture today. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You go in our culture today and you say, if you live a habitual lifestyle of sexual immorality, you're not going to heaven. Our culture will push back on that. Or if you live and show this kind of a mark, then you don't have the marks of a believer. Who are you to judge me? That's my truth. That's not your truth. And we're living in a culture like that. But what Paul is saying is this, I've warned you before. And here's the thing. Those people do not inherit the kingdom of heaven, because they have clearly demonstrated that they do not have a relationship with Christ and the spirit of God is not living in them. And those who are apart from Christ will not have the kingdom of God. So he shows this contrast. 
He says, here are the works of the flesh. And then he shows the works of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Do you see the contrast? Here's the work of the flesh, and you see that it obviously leads to more flesh and ends up separating people from God from eternity. But those who walk by the Spirit, the characteristics that the Holy Spirit builds in people are absolutely contrary to the works of the flesh. And even how believers deal with the works of the flesh, there is a contrast. Now, Paul shows us this conflict. He shows us the contrast. And here's where he gives the clarity. And here's where we're going to camp out the rest of this time. In his clarity, he tells us exactly what the fruit of the Spirit does in the heart of a believer and how we are totally different from the old person we used to be. I'm going to give you three things that he speaks about. Number one, he says this. Spiritual fruit is a reflection of the character of Jesus. Spiritual fruit is a reflection of the character of Jesus. When he says in verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What he's saying is this, this is a picture of Jesus Christ. This is a picture of Jesus in his ministry. When you think of how Jesus lived his life, reading the gospels, and you see the full picture of how Jesus lived, these things show up. Nobody loved like Jesus loved. He loved sinners. He loved people who were separated from God. He loved people who didn't love him. He loved the unlovable. Jesus loved in an incredibly perfect way. Think of his joy the joy that was set before him even to go to the cross and despise its shame. Jesus was filled with joy. And when you look at his life and you read through the gospels, you see a clear picture of the joy of the Lord. Peace. Nobody had peace like Christ. He could sleep on the front of a boat in the middle of a storm and they had to wake him up to say, hey, we're about to drown here. Incredible peace. Patience. He was patient with his disciples. He was patient with sinners. He was patient with even some, the only people he wasn't patient with were the religious leaders because they should have known better. His kindness overflowed in the lives of others. His goodness, his moral character was constantly on display. His faithfulness to the Father all the way to the point of death. His gentleness in dealing with the down hearted, those who were the the dregs of society and his incredible self-control. He could have called a legion of angels to destroy humanity, yet on the cross, perfect in his self-control. Jesus is the perfect picture of the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul writes in Colossians 1.19, he says, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all of the fullness to dwell in him. Jesus' entire life was characterized by the fullness of the Spirit. 
When he was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. The Holy Spirit brought him back. And Luke says this, in Luke chapter four, he says, and Jesus came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. His whole life was characterized by that. So if you wanna know, what does it look like to be like Jesus? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the picture of Jesus. Why does the Holy Spirit want this fruit in us to be alive? Because when you live according to the spiritual fruit that comes from him, then you will be the picture of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs to see him. The greatest way you and I can be like Christ is to allow the spirit of God to produce this spiritual fruit in us so we can be like him. Spiritual fruit is always a reflection of Jesus. But here's the second thing we need to see. Spiritual fruit is reproduced in a true believer's life. It's reproduced in a true believer's life. If you're a true child of God, you've surrendered your life to Christ, then the Holy Spirit is going to come and produce this spiritual fruit in you. Not only does he change your thinking and your mind as he begins to draw you to the truth of who Christ is, not only does he lead you to that point of conversion, not only does he fill you, but he prepares your heart for spiritual fruit. And this spiritual fruit is the kind that shows people how you are like like Christ in all areas of your life. And so when he brings this spiritual fruit, there are three things we need to know about how he reproduces it. Number one, it is initiated by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who produces the fruit in you. Spiritual fruit cannot be manufactured. Spiritual fruit cannot be brought from something that is dead. Spiritual fruit can only come from something that is alive. And when the Holy Spirit regenerates your heart, you are now alive. And he's the one that initiates the growth of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. He brings things to you that your dead person never had before. And he makes you alive in these areas. Let me give you an illustration. Many years ago, I went to the home of a man in this church. Um, He and his wife had been members here for a long time. His name is Harry Calder. Mr. Harry was a giant of a man. Some of you remember him. He was about 6'6", weighed 300 pounds. He was this big, burly guy. But he was the most gentle man I ever met in my life. So I went to his house one day and I said, Mr. Harry, tell me about your life. Tell me about how you came to faith in Christ. He said, Phil, when I was a young man, I was an angry young man. I was a violent young man. He said, I didn't like people. In fact, when I was in the Navy, I would go to bars so that I can pick fights with people. In fact, people would pay me a dollar to beat up somebody on the other side of the bar. And I would get over there and for a dollar, he said, I would beat that poor young guy to a pulp. And then I walk out of there feeling very confident about myself. He said, but when I met Jesus Christ, I never wanted to hurt anybody again. He said, all I wanted to do was love them and tell them about the Lord Jesus and what he did in my own life. You see, the truth is this. If you're not a believer, you can love. You can have some peace. You can be kind. You can be patient. But you can never be to the degree 
that the Holy Spirit will bring that to you because he brings to us areas of fruit that we've never even thought about before. And so he initiates fruit within our lives. Here's the second thing he does. It is to be inclusive within the believer. Spiritual fruit is to be inclusive. What do I mean by that? He says, but the fruit of the Spirit. You notice that it's singular. He didn't say the fruits of the Spirit. He says the fruit. It means it's one piece of fruit. Why is it that he puts it in the singular and not in the plural? Here's why. Because when you get the fruit of the Spirit, they're all connected from the source of the Holy Spirit. If I could describe the fruit of the, the Spirit to you, there are nine characteristics, but it is only one fruit. It would be like a cluster of grapes. That's the picture. It's different from, let's say you go to the produce section and you say, well, I want an apple. I like apples. I want an orange. I like oranges. I'll even get a pear. I like pears. But grapefruit, nah, I don't care about grapefruit. No, I don't want anything to do with peaches. I don't want anything to do with any of that, that exotic fruit that I don't like. I'm just going to get the fruit I like and not eat any of the other ones. Spiritual fruit is in a cluster, which means this. It is like a cluster of fruit that every single one of those is to be active in your life. You don't pick and choose fruits of the spirit. Well, you know what? I like the love part, but I don't like the self-control. I'm not going to do the self-control. I'll just eat on the love. You know, I I like the peace part, but I don't like patience. No, I'm not going to work on the patience part. I'm just going to go with the peace. You know, I like the kindness, but you know, all of this, this faithfulness and stuff. No, let me just go. No, no, no. The picture is it's all inclusive. When you pursue the fruit of the spirit, the Holy Spirit wants all of these elements to be true in your life. You cannot have an affinity for one over the other. Now, some of them might be more natural to you and some of them will take more supernatural work of the spirit within your life as you submit to him. But they are all to be incorporated into your life. Here's the third thing. Not only are they initiated, not only are they inclusive, but it is implemented by the believer. Here's the unique thing about spiritual fruit. The Holy Spirit is the one who plants it. He germinates it. It begins to grow in your life, but you're the one who has to cultivate it. You're the one that has to implement it into your life. I like the way Paul says it in verse 16. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. That means keep in step with the Spirit of God. Live by the Spirit of God every day and you're not gonna run after the fleshly things. So as we walk in the Spirit, we're cultivating all nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. But I like what he says next. He says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Here's the biggest part of the implementation of it. If you want to develop spiritual fruit in your life to be like Jesus, here's the hard part. Matter of fact, you're not going to like what I'm about to say. If you want to cultivate spiritual fruit in your life to be like Jesus, you have to kill your sinful nature. You have to starve your sinful nature. You have to kill sin in your life. You have to put it to death. 
We don't like that. That means I've got to die to these sinful desires. I've got to put them to death. We don't need to have a conference about our sin. We don't need to have a prayer meeting about our sin. We don't need to have a debate about our sin. We have to kill our sin. And for the child of God, if we're not willing to put sinful areas to death, then we will never know the fullness of spiritual fruit in our life being displayed and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. He says, crucify it, crucify it. Do you have any idea of what it means to be crucified? We don't live in that culture. I love what John Stott, one of my favorite Bible scholars, says about crucifying sin. He says three things. He says, crucifixion of the flesh is to be pitiless. You know what that means? When a Roman soldier was crucifying someone, he did it without pity for the person. He was just carrying out his duty and they crucified thousands upon thousands of people in those days. And some of those Roman soldiers crucified many, many hundreds of people and it was without pity. What he's saying is this, that when I crucify my sin, I'm not to have pity for that sin. I'm not to feel sorry for that sin. I'm not to have some affinity for that sin. It is to be without pity that I nail that sin to the cross. Not only is it to be pitiless, but crucifixion of the flesh is to be painful. Every person who was ever crucified went through some of the most horrendous, barbaric way of execution that you can ever imagine. And it means that when I put sin to death, sometimes it's painful. I have to die to ambitions that were driving my future. And I've got to make a choice to die to that. And it may be painful. I might have to end an unhealthy relationship that's not glorifying to God and it might be painful. I might have to put away a career decision because it may be moving away from the very things that God wants and it may be painful. Putting sin to get death can be a painful thing. But here's the third thing. Crucifixion of the flesh is to be precisive. It means that I'm going to be precise with it. These guys who nailed people to the cross were experts on execution and they were precise in how they put the person to death. And we are to be the same with our sin. It is to be precise. It is to be named. It is to be identified. And it is to be crucified. And we walk away. And one of the reasons many of us are struggling with spiritual fruit growing in our lives is because we're not willing to die to the sin that may be keeping us from that kind of growth. Peter writes this about adding all of these things, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It may be today that God's shown you what are some areas that you gotta crucify? What are some areas you need to die to? What are some of the things that are keeping you from a spirit-filled life because you're walking by the flesh and not by the spirit? As a child of God, there's that battle and it's constant and we must walk through it. Here's the third thing that Paul shows. Spiritual fruit impacts three areas of my relationship. 
in my life. If you take all nine characteristics of the spiritual fruit and you break them down into triads, three in each group, they're easy to memorize, but it helps you to see how the fruit of the Spirit impacts every relationship in your life. Warren Wiersbe, who's a great man uh, of God who's with the Lord now, but he was a commentator, I love the way he breaks it down and it helps us to understand it in three distinct triads. He says in verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patient kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They really impact relationships in three areas. Let me give you those relationships very quickly. Number one, my relationship with God. They impact my relationship with God. Why? Because God is the one who brought me to the point in his growth, putting the spiritual fruit in me. How do they impact me? Love. That's my communion with God. Because of his great love for me through his work on the cross through Jesus Christ, then I can know his love because he has loved me. And I can be in a communion with him and have that kind of love. Secondly, joy. That's a contentment for the Lord. Joy is an internal disposition that is never determined by outward circumstances. Happiness is based upon circumstances. Joy is never based upon circumstances. And when I come into a relationship with God, there's a contentment and a joy that I have for him that will never change. And the third is peace. That's my confidence in God. David read earlier, Therefore, having been justified by faith, you have peace with God. It is peace with God. It is the peace of God. And when I understand that because of his love for me, I can experience a kind of love for him, a joy that's content in him, and a peace that goes beyond any understanding because of what he has done for me. And the thing is this, I can't love you rightly until I love God rightly. And when I love God rightly, then I can love others rightly. When I have joy that comes from him, then it doesn't matter the circumstances of my life. When I have a peace that is found in him, it doesn't matter the trials and the difficulties of my life. Because these three aspects of the fruit of the spirit always drive me back to him. Father, thank you that you have poured love in my heart through the Holy Spirit who is in me. Thank you that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Thank you that I have peace with you because you have justified me through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Love, joy, peace. That helps and grows my relationship with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here's the next triad, is my relationship with others. And you can take the next three and you can see how it breaks down in my relationship with others. Patience. Includes tolerance, long-suffering. It's having a long fuse with those we don't, who don't operate on your schedule. You want to you develop patience this week? You want the Holy Spirit to infuse patience in here? Here's a challenge. Get in the slowest line at the grocery store on purpose. On purpose. Sit at a red light that you know takes 20 minutes to turn green for three seconds. Find areas that you can say, okay, Lord, I want you to build patience because if you say, I want to be patient, you're going to have a Trive day as you're trying to develop this patience. But patience is this long suffering. How about this? Kindness, a gentle disposition that expresses itself in kind words or actions when someone's undeserving. This is towards other people. 
And when I ask the Holy Spirit to build this kindness, I'm looking for opportunities to demonstrate the kindness of Christ in their lives. Or here's the third one, goodness, moral excellence or godliness that is worked out in practical manner that benefits others. When we talk about patience, kindness, and goodness, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit that's displayed towards other people. And then finally, we come to the last one, a relationship with myself, faithfulness trustworthiness or dependability. It's the ability to stick to a task regardless of how difficult it is. When we talk about faithfulness, we're talking about faithfulness in obeying God, faithfulness in walking in holiness, faithfulness in walking in purity. Or how about this gentleness, strength under control. The word is meek. Meek doesn't mean weak. It is a picture of a thoroughbred horse that is self-controlled and doesn't just run as it could. And it is a life of self-control, strength under control for the glory of God. And self-control, personal restraint with our desires. It is to control our appetites and our passions and everything within us. When we look at the fruits of the Spirit, we see that the Holy Spirit initiates them in us. All of them are to be in our life. And we have to join Him in implementing these things and they impact every relationship. When you think the first three focus on Jesus, the second three focus on others, the third three focuses on you, and you put those together and it spells joy. Jesus, others, you. Now, when we seek to apply all that we have heard in this series, how do we wrap this up? How do I, how do you cultivate an ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit? Here's what I want to close and end this series on. There are four things I want us to do. Number one, I thank God for his presence in my life. If you're a child of God every single day, give thanks for his presence in your life. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He is there with you. Secondly, allow him to be president in my life. Every day when I wake up, I yield to the Holy Spirit and say, today, Holy Spirit, fill me. Today, I wanna walk with you. I want you to be the one who guides me through the course of my day. I want you to guide my thinking. I want you to guide my passions. And today, I yield everything to you. And I ask that I would walk in your fullness every single day. Let me tell you, this is a daily prayer as we cultivate this relationship with the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, operate within the parameters of his gifts that he's given you. Identify those gifts, discover them, develop them, deploy them, use them for the kingdom's sake. And as you allow the Spirit of God to show you your giftedness, you walk in that and finally, let the sweet produce of the Holy Spirit's fruit flow from me into others. Allow the fruit of the Spirit to be so developed in me that who people see is Jesus and not me. So we're gonna close with a song this morning. And in closing with the song, this is gonna be our prayer and it's going to be our, our commitment to the Lord and to the Holy Spirit that we would allow ourselves 
to be so empowered by him that what people see in us is the character and the fruit of the Lord Jesus. Would you stand together, please? Stand together. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, my friend, I want to tell you that Jesus has done everything on the cross for you. And today, he is calling you to surrender to him. And we are saying, surrender your life to Christ today. And if you're a believer, this should be the desire of our heart, is that from this day on, as we continue to move, give the Holy Spirit his reign in our lives and let him convict us of the areas of sin that we need to crucify. Father, thank you for your word. As we conclude this series, Father, I pray that you would not conclude it in our hearts and in our lives, but you would remind us every day of cultivating this relationship with your spirit as he seeks to make us like Jesus and ultimately points to you in your love and your kindness to us. And Father, as we close this series and sing this song, may this be a song of absolute commitment from our hearts to you and allow you to have your way in our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.